I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hang on a second. What exactly... Did Chase Claypool do to offend anyone at all in the Steelers' brass? Am I missing something here? Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. And yes, the sun actually did come up following... The Steelers' 23-17 loss to Washington yesterday at Heinz Field. I'm sure there were times yesterday it didn't feel like it would. The Steelers being 11-0, all kinds of warts and everything else, but still 11-0. It's deflating to see it end. It's discouraging with how it ended with the Steelers going down to a 4-7 and seven opponent, which, by the way, was the worst record any team ever had in NFL history in beating a team that was 11-0 or better. Yeah, just thought I'd throw that in, too, to make you feel all further warm and fuzzy inside. But for all the different aspects of the game, or even the various games that built up to this outcome. Nothing confused me more than the fact that Chase Claypool couldn't get on the field. I I don't get it. I I don't understand it. His final numbers were two catches on four targets, Now, those two catches brought 38 yards, including that 30-yarder, that leaping, really, really impressive grab that he did well to hold on to because he came down back onto the ground really hard. And the Steelers ended up punching that in. He's a really, really, really good player. And I don't get it, but just to further offer context here, He had four targets. James Washington had four targets, which incidentally is also really stupid. James Washington made two catches for a total of 80 yards. One of them was the 50-yard touchdown. The other one was a 30-yarder downfield. What are you doing? What are you doing? Deontay Johnson had 12 targets. Eric Ebron, who couldn't catch a cold had 11 targets, including three drops. Juju Smith-Schuster had 10 targets, seven catches, which sounds nice, but only 28 yards because all he's running are these, you know, these dinky little quick slants. Jalen Samuels had four targets and three catches. Yay, 11 yards. 
So Jalen Samuels had as many targets in part-time duty as James Washington and Chase Claypool did. But even then, that doesn't tell the story. I haven't seen a snap count. Those don't happen until around 24 hours after the completion of a game. Because you have to go through the entire film and check everybody who's on every play. That's not an automatic stat that the NFL tracks yet. I'm sure they'll get around to that. But I'll tell you this, every time I look down from the press box to that sideline, 11 was standing there next to some coaches with no jacket on, with his helmet on, ready to go on the field. And in case anybody was wondering if he's hurt or anything like that, no, no, because he was sent back out there in the fourth quarter. He was sent out there in pivotal situations, but not nearly enough. What are they doing with this kid? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, he had a couple of drops in the last game. They all did. If you were going to bench anybody over drops, you'd be benching Ebron to the point where he's benched up in the north zone bleachers. Look, the Steelers did not get lucky when they drafted Claypool. So I'm going to be careful with how I phrase it. To get lucky means, you know, you're lousy at something and then, you know, you just stumble onto a player who ends up being a terrific talent. That's not what happened here. The Steelers have been too good at drafting wide receivers for too long for me to take credit away from Kevin Colbert, his scouts, everybody else that was involved in choosing Claypool out of Notre Dame. But you are lucky to have him. And you're really dumb to not use him. This team needs, in the worst way, to stretch the field against opponents. We've now seen week after week after week the other team stacking eight, nine in the box. The last two games in particular, Baltimore and Washington, have been laughable in that sense with what the Ravens and now what Washington did yesterday to just load up. They didn't care in the slightest if the Steelers were going deep. Even their safeties were up. They were begging Ben Roethlisberger to throw over their heads. The number one threat to do that on this team by a significant margin, even though it's a pretty good group of receivers overall, is Chase Claypool. He watched the game. I'm actually running out of things to say about this. I'm going to cut the segment short because I'll just get repetitive because this is so ridiculous that this happened. Maybe it won't happen this coming week. In Buffalo, where the Bills are notoriously not good at pass coverage, and they're really not particularly good at stopping the run either, but this team just needs to start going deep again. The best way to do that, the best way to do that is to get this kid out on the field where he belongs when we come back. 
yeah, more about this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Back, staying on the subject of the Steelers' offense because there's so much ground to cover with the shortcomings of this facet of this football team uh, that that I could honestly crank out six or seven segments on this, and each one of them would be something distinctly different, and yet equally important. To what's going wrong with this group. I'm going to throw this one out now. I don't know that it matters all that much because I, I, I really believe James Conner will be back in time for the game against the Bills, and you'll see him out there as feature back, bell cow, whatever it is anybody wants to call it. But I, I want to get this out of my system now. Benny Snell is nobody's answer to any problem. And the Steelers really need, this time for real, to get themselves a running back either out of the draft or through free agency. And I'm very much aware that free agency is probably the better route in this regard, considering the running backs are everywhere, most of them not costing very much. Benny Snell ran five times yesterday for eight yards. That is a 0.6 average. He caught two passes for an additional five yards. He did nothing. I'm as critical as anyone's been about the caliber of the run blocking. I thought David DeCastro in particular really struggled, kept getting knocked backward. I don't know that the rest of the line was appreciably better. But I do know that when Anthony McFarland was out there, and it was only four carries and it was only 15 yards on his end, but that's four times more than what Benny got. I don't see Benny Snell having any kind of nose for holes. I don't see him having any kind of stick-to-itiveness as it applies to running between the tackles, which is the thing that was supposed to be his strength coming out of college. He's had his moments in the NFL. He had a game last year against Baltimore that raised some eyebrows, that got some hopes up. He had one earlier this year where maybe some people got a little bit excited. But there's just been nothing since then. And you will not see a more striking sight than the Steelers having a third and one with basically the game on the line, 
Nothing happens there, and Snell comes off the field for McFarland on the fourth and one, which didn't work either. It was the ridiculous call to pass outside to McFarland, which is neither here nor there. If Snell is that guy who you can trust to plow between the tackles for a single bleeping yard, then the stupidity with McFarland in that pass play never happens. Remember, there's always a cause and effect to this kind of stuff. And that's to say nothing of the general effect that this awful running game has brought on the entire offense and the confidence of the coaching staff. Look, you can laugh all you want or, you know, rip Mike Tomlin, rip Randy Feetner for the tackle-eligible pass down at the goal line that, that didn't work. Gerald Hawkins' name had been called out a hundred times throughout the year as the tackle-eligible, and they finally tried it. It didn't work. The lack of confidence in the running game is rooted in the fact that the running game stinks. That There's a cause and an effect here. I asked Mike Tomlin, uh, or at least I tried to ask Mike Tomlin to elaborate on his very obvious lack of confidence in the running game. Mike, what's your level of confidence in the running game right now? You're calling there's there's pass plays being called on a lot of third and short, even fourth and short. You know, I'm just worried about us fluidly moving the football, whether it's run or pass. Um, you know, we move it how we choose to move it. Um, the way that we choose to, chose to move it tonight wasn't fluid enough for us to have victory, in particular in the moments that you mentioned. Yeah, okay, well, I didn't say I got very far, right? Um, not exactly an answer to a pretty direct question, but then, you know, we don't tie our interview subjects uh, up in orange jumpsuits, you know, they they can answer however it is that they want. The Steelers running game isn't essential in the sense that it doesn't have to be excellent. It doesn't have to be very good. I'm not sure it needs to be good. What it needs to be is not this. It needs to be not embarrassing. It needs to be able to get you a yard or two when it's needed, even when it's obvious to everyone involved that you're going to run. You have to be able, as a football team, line up, line up, and get a yard or two. Or in a couple of these cases in this game, just plow forward. Don't overthink anything. You're down at the goal line with two, three cracks. What are you doing messing around trying to trick people? If Benny Snell can't get you that yard or that 1.5 or 2 or whatever it is, he doesn't belong on the team. I could say that almost independently of the run blocking. A back of his style and of his background needs to be able to get you that almost unconditionally. Like one of the, the, the goal line stops that Washington had 
was on Snell when Eric Ebron, I was going to say he missed a block. He didn't miss a block. He couldn't care less if he had attempted to get that block or not. Just basically got out of the dude's way. And the player gets back there and just kind of ropes Snell by his ankles and brings him down. And I'm thinking, okay, first off, Ebron is just, you know what? I'll have more on him at some point. But there's no way that running back should go down like that. Like that easily. I mean, he got roped by the ankles at a guy diving toward him. You could argue he already should have been in the end zone at that point. He wasn't because he got to the line and he kind of, you know. He's on this roster for one reason and one reason alone, and that's it. And he hasn't gotten that job done all year long. Look, I've been critical of Connor, particularly his availability issues over recent years. But the fact of the matter is he's been probably 10 times better than any other running back on this roster. The Steelers should look forward to having him back. I'm not saying he's going to be the panacea. He's not going to make for better run blocking. He's not going to convince the coaches to put their $3 million fullback onto the field. And if you don't even remember his name, that's okay. I'll remind you it's Derek Watt. He wasn't on the field for the third and one, fourth and one either. If I keep talking about this offense, when we come back, just one question. At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Welcome back. It's time for just one question, and that's brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg Garbage, Kelly and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who filed for workers' comp, who need help with medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG take pride in keeping their promises. They've been keeping promises for over 80 years in our region. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Today's Just One Question comes from J.M. Jardina, who asks, as if pursuing my heart, how many drops and or missed blocks will it take for Eric Ebron to be benched? I'd be okay if he was gradually improving, but he's regressing. This is correct. This is fair. There's been some positive that Ebron has brought to the offense. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and universally knock him because he's been pretty lousy here for a good span 
He has shown uncommon athleticism, ability to get open, and at times has made extra-type plays, if you will, based on that athleticism and his, his natural receiver tendencies. That said, all he's doing now is dropping the ball. I don't even mean that figuratively, but I could. I mean, there's balls that are going right at him between the 8 and the 5 when he's at a complete standstill. And he can't hold on to them. There's blocks, as I mentioned in the previous segment, that he's not even attempting to make. And that stuff, that's unacceptable. You know, it just is. That That's stuff that, for as much as Ebron talks, and he sure talks, this team, this quarterback, so happy, Super Bowl this, Super Bowl that, we're going to stick it to the NFL for changing our schedule and everything else that he's brought up for everything that he says and talks about and sounds like Mr. Ultimate Team Guy and everything else. Give me the tight end who's at least going to attempt to meet his blocking assignment on what should be a one-yard plunge through the middle. Give me Vance McDonald. I, I know that's not a necessarily a, a universally held view with Steelers Nation. I, I get that. Vance is not that guy that's going to get that open. He's not going to be the guy that you would label a pass-catching tight end, but he's caught passes, and he can't possibly be worse at catching passes than someone who's pretty much a slam dunk for three drops a game at this point. And Vance, who's been described by his best buddy on the team, Ben Roethlisberger, as being the ultimate team player, most certainly would not have just gotten out of the way in a set block at the goal line. You can't let players who are underperforming but also giving less than their best get away with it. You can't. If you're looking for things that could change for the Steelers between now and Sunday night in Orchard Park, it's not just going to be a schematic here or there. It's not going to be uh, you know, replacing an injured guy here or there or whatever. It's going to be something that shows accountability. Vance McDonald has the respect of everyone in that locker room. If he comes onto the field and gets you two, three catches, whatever, but does his job blocking, I will take that over this crap that they're getting from Ebron right now. His big plays and his occasional this or that that I mentioned earlier do not negate the mistakes that he's making, nor do they negate the intangible element of having a player not giving his best on a team that, until yesterday, was undefeated. Well, this show has been just a bundle of joy, right? Wow! 
Um, Mike Tomlin is today at noon. The Steelers, of course, going through yet another short week in preparing for the Bills. I'll be here to talk about anything significant that comes up in that press conference and whatever else might come into play for the Steelers between now and tomorrow morning. In the meantime, send me your just one question. Send it to my email, put it on our app, put it on our website, send it via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'll find it one way or another. Thanks so much for listening today. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.